The show goes on. This is the official show on the Fish on First podcast channel. I'm Eli Sussman, the managing editor of Fish Stripes, where we cover your Miami Marlins every day in our own way. Find the pod wherever you listen to pods, Fish on First. Still getting used to that, rebranding the channel. That is all of our Fish Stripes content, including the official show, including Fish Stripes Unfiltered, Fishology, State of the Fish, and much more for myself and the rest of the Fish Stripes staff. And this is also the second episode that I am cross-posting to our YouTube channel as well. So if you're watching that right here, leave a like for us, please, to let us know that uh, I'm on the right track with the way that I'm presenting this and to make sure that the algorithms treat us well and disseminate this to as many Marlins fans as possible. Share it far and wide as I'll continue to post these to our YouTube channel at 1.5 thousand subscribers in growing strong. So subscribe to that over there. If you don't already, we have separate content, audio only, video only. You really need to stay on top of us everywhere to get a thousand percent of our Marlins coverage. Of course, the mothership for everything, fishstripes.com. On this episode, do you remember this guy? Joey Wendell. Joey Wendell, this was supposed to be his second year with the Marlins, entering this year as the team's primary shortstop. The team has had quite a bit of success as I'm recording this, just finished off the sweep of the Chicago Cubs, 16 and 13, doing almost all that without Joey Wendell. 15 of those 16 wins since Wendell suffered an intercostal strain. And one thing that I think has been overlooked about this Marlins start is the relative continuity that they've had with their hitters. When Wendell went down, first few days of April, and ever since then, they've not needed to make a single roster move for any of their hitters. Almost a month of continuity with their new manager, Skip Schumacher, getting to know each other in the clubhouse for a team that has very notably and loudly won all of their one-run games and outperformed what their run differential says. Continuity has been um, a treat for them, and I don't think it should be overlooked as one aspect as to why they have had this encouraging start to the season. The topic of the show is Joey Wendell because Joey Wendell is about to come back. He is in the middle, or I should say at the tail end of a rehab assignment with AAA Jacksonville on Sunday. He played the entire game at shortstop. He took five at bats. He is on the verge of returning after playing three rehab games off day on Monday for both AAA and the majors on Tuesday. He could be back as soon as then, if not, the following series, it's just a matter of days until Wendell is back on this team, back playing a prominent role on this team, whether you like it or not, that's what he'll be doing initially. And that means when you add somebody, you subtract somebody, it's a hard 26-man active roster limit. Who is the odd man out of this Marlins team to accommodate Joey Wendell? That's what I'm going to get into on this show. As I break down a handful, there really are a handful of different directions that the Marlins could go here to bring Wendell back into the mix. And a spoiler alert, there is no easy decision right here. But I'm going to go one by one to uh, you know try to get us to a satisfying conclusion to this predicament. A good problem to have for the Marlins coming up in just the next few days. Wendell coming back for the Miami Marlins, who is going to be going out either down to Jacksonville or potentially to another organization. There are uh, a lot of options here. As we take a look at this Marlins active roster of hitters that they have here, as you see in the options column, uh, really almost half of these position players are 
dis- not disposable. They could they have some maneuverability to them if the Marlins feel it's fit. If for whatever reason Jazz Chisholm Jr. needs a little more time to marinate down at AAA, they can still option him down. I think the better, more bold example is Luis Arise. If the best hitter on the planet right now, uh, if Marlins management wanted to send him down to AAA Jacksonville, they could do so at any time. Um, it would not go very well. It wouldn't go over well through for any um, audience that has vested interest in the Marlins this season, but he still has minor league options left. Players with five, or I should say less than five years of major league service can be sent down. In this case, the ones we're going to focus on here, Brian De La Cruz will focus on Garrett Hampson, will focus on John Birdie, and one of the few who doesn't have an option, Jesus Sanchez. I think it's worth diving into his place on this Marlins team and whether or not we feel that uh, that place is deserved at this moment as Joey Wendell gets back into the mix. And right before this, let me just go back to Wendell himself. So this year has gone off to an awful start for Wendell. He was five for 48 in spring training games with no slugging whatsoever, no isolated power whatsoever. Then he got off to that hitless start the first four games of the Marlins regular season as well. And even on this rehab assignment against AAA competition, just two for 12 to this point. Wendell's still making plenty of contact. That's one of his calling cards, just doing really nothing else right to this point. You could actually rewind to a lot of the 2022 season from Wendell from July onward when he got back from his latter injured list stint. And he wasn't hitting very well down the stretch at that point either. Uh, it was an OPS in the low 600s over the final three months of the 2022 season. That being said, that being said, Wendell in three of the previous four years prior to the Marlins acquiring him, he was a very good all-around player, and that includes offensively with a nice mix of singles, walks, doubles to make him a well-above-average hitter, as well as one that plays second base and shortstop and third base at an average or better level. That's And that culmination of skills led to an all-star selection in 2021. Even if he is not a quote-unquote star in the conventional sense, he was a very valuable player prior to the Marlins acquiring him. In that first month of the 2022 season, it's easy to forget, like he was the talk of the team in April 2022. He was the guy that got those timely hits early in the year. His average, his batting average is floating in the high 300s for a good portion of that opening month last year before his initial injuries struck. As I mentioned before, an intercostal strain is what kept him out this time, and he's taken about a full month to this point to, to rehab it. Even if he's not producing on this rehab assignment to this point, he is right on the verge of, of being ready and checking all the boxes you want from a rehabbing player. Most importantly, um, the reason why is he's kind of unblockable for a return to the active roster is because he's a veteran player earning about $6 million this year. That Yeah, that money is going to him one way or the other. He actually doesn't have a minor league option left. The Marlins have to put him back on the active roster, and they have a good incentive to do so just given his track record as a well above average player the person that got that roster spot initially from wendell when he went down due to injury that was mr garrett hampson so hampson his first year in the marlins organization signed a minor league deal with the marlins had um, an 
uh, okay spring training. I guess more good than bad, but didn't quite make the cut. Yet they did put him on the 40-man roster to ensure that he wouldn't opt out of his contract. And Hampson, since he came up um, as that corresponding move, it's been extremely successful. I think it has gone beyond even the highest expectations that people may have had for Hampson. If I have this right through Sunday's game, still a weighted runs created plus over 100. This is a player that in his previous years with Colorado, that WRC plus, remember, 100 is league average. In 2019, it was 64. In 2020, it was 64. In 2021, it was 64. In 2022, it was 55. Just a terrible hitter once you adjusted for the conditions of Coors Field. He has come here to Miami in these conditions, and the raw hitting stats are even better. And, of course, when you adjust for the ballpark you're playing in, they are far better than anybody could have imagined to this point. Perhaps even more important is that he's been the Marlins' main shortstop throughout the last week plus. He was playing somewhat sparingly initially after being called up for Wendell, uh, and then Birdie was the primary shortstop. We're going to get to John Birdie a little later in here. Hampson has overtaken Birdie for that job. I think kind of deservedly so because he is a better defender. He is a stronger arm at shortstop. He had one very notable miscue receiving a potential double play ball in Atlanta that led to um, a couple runs scoring that probably shouldn't have scored. Overall, I think he's been fine at that position. And I guess more importantly, moving forward, I think you can trust him quite a bit. Not just that, the versatility to play second base as well as the outfield spots. He's played a little bit of center, a little bit of right. He started in right field on Sunday, and that's valuable too, to have somebody that's both an infield and outfield versatility who's hitting, as I mentioned, at an above average clip, at least for the moment, through about 50 plate appearances. And a great runner, a great base runner, who has been relatively efficient on his steal attempts in the past. Top end speed for Garrett Hampson that comes into play in terms of base stealing, getting extra bases on uh, balls in the gaps, as well as even being a candidate to lay down sacrifice bunts. I think he's done that at least once already to this point in the season. He can contribute in a lot of different ways. The one main limitation is that he does not hit the ball hard whatsoever. He had that home run that came in an important spot, a game-tying situation during one of the Marlins' many one-run wins. Overall, he just does not hit the ball hard at all. And that limits his potential for to continue getting extra base hits at the clip that he's been doing so thus far. For somebody that is slugging in the mid 400s, I'm going to take the far under on that the, the rest of the season. The expected stats back that up. He entered Sunday with the expected weighted on base average of 231, despite having an actual weighted on base average that was 304, a 73 point gap in terms of what he's getting versus what he is deserving for a player that throughout his career has lined up pretty perfectly between that expectation and reality. He's going to come back down to earth offensively, but I already mentioned, you know, all the ways that he has already contributed to this team, some of which I think are sustainable. He's been a very pleasant surprise. He has made a very positive impact on the team. And not for nothing, he's coming off one of his better individual games on Sunday where he had a pair of extra base hits that went a long way towards making the difference in the game. Next, I do want to go to John Birdie on here. Birdie, who is a much more familiar face to Marlins fans. He's been in the organization for over four years at this point, parts of five major league seasons. He is off to, by his standards, a relatively slow start 
this season, although he had a pair of hits as well in Sunday's win against the Cubs. Yeah, overall, on-base percentage only around 300, WRC plus at 84. Somebody who had a, a nice, maybe his best baseball of his Marlins career offensively, I'd say is already several years in the rearview mirror back in 2019 and then 2020. He was great. And he's continued to hit atop their lineup a lot recently, especially last year when they were extremely thin in the infield. And even he's done so several times again this season. You just look at the production and um, you may be surprised about how little offensive production there's been with the exception of his base running. Of course, he led the major leagues in stolen bases last year. And when you do something, when you have a distinction that is so it sounds so prestigious to lead the majors in a category like that. I, I feel like there is somewhat of a disconnect between birdies actual um, value on the field versus his reputation or versus simply having that stolen base title attached to him, especially in an era previously before the rule changes last year, where you get to lead the league in stolen bases with only 41. It wasn't quite as what it used to be. His base running is that clearest advantage over somebody like Hampson and over probably anybody on the team with the exception of Jazz. In a vacuum, I'd say Jazz is the most impactful base runner on the Marlins, but Birdie should be second in that regard. Even at 33 years old, measures out as a great base runner even still. At this point, he has not slowed down quite yet, and that is immensely valuable. So whether he's starting game, whether he's coming off the bench as a pinch runner, there are situations where you can use that value for him. He has a little bit more power than Hampson, at least in my observation. He's had two home runs already this year, and his career isolated power is, what is that? Well, it's not quite 100 points over his batting average. It's still it's well below average power, but just a little tick higher than Hampson. He does have the power even to do damage to, to center field or even to, to, to go the opposite way. That in a way that is, adds a little extra dimension that Hampson doesn't. I think what he's lacking, what's been a little overlooked, is um, whether Birdie is still a viable defender in the outfield. The Marlins have been very reluctant to play him there, dating back to last year, and that has continued so far this year. He has not played yet, even a moment in the outfield in 2023, after doing so mostly in left field in 2022. He, uh, I think that is. Not just there, but as well at, at shortstop, as I mentioned, with Hampson overtaking him as the main shortstop recently for like an actual reason, because Birdie isn't quite as smooth with his actions at short, and his throwing arm isn't as good as Hampson's either. So there is like a little marginal difference that goes against Birdie, despite overall him being the better player over the last several years combined than Hampson has been. He obviously has relationships within this clubhouse. He's, he's a very valued, valued member of the Marlins organization. Uh, that being said, I don't think he's exempt from this conversation because he is just not playing exceptionally well early on this year. They have those minor league options to use. Uh, and although he is making in his arbitration years over $2 million this year, and the Marlins don't want to bury a couple million dollars in the minor leagues, if they're focused on actually winning games and sustaining this 16 and 13 start, you know, he has to at least be brought into this conversation. So that those are my thoughts on John birdie here, Hampson birdie, and then Jesus Sanchez. I spent quite a lot of time thinking about this young man this past week, 
You may have read, I had a, an article on Sanchez on the site about 1,500 words about his uh, major league career to this point and where he goes from here. Right after I wrote that, all of a sudden, after being buried on the bench throughout the previous week, there's been somewhat of a change of heart, or perhaps just a change of circumstances that have allowed him to play almost every inning of every game over the last five games entering this recording. He hit an amazing, majestic home run in Atlanta. He also had that booming double during the Cubs series that with the bases loaded that came in a big spot. It was a reminder of the really awesome raw power potential that Sanchez has. That is extremely valuable to a team like the Marlins that has made this calculated trade-off to acquire a lot of guys, Wendell being one who was already here from the previous year, but adding several Wendell-adjacent players who prioritize contact skills over power and don't have this kind of upside to drive in multiple runs with one big swing the way that Sanchez does. Because of how limited his playing time was, Entering this year, just having a couple decent games has made a significant difference to Sanchez's uh, bottom line stats. I'm looking at the right page here. Still overall, right around uh, 103 WRC plus through the end of Sunday's games, slightly better than league average. That comes with the caveat that he is striking out a lot. And I should have mentioned with Hampson, Hampson has a pretty high strikeout rate to this point this season, well over 30%. And with Sanchez, it's almost 35% this early in the year. It's been a combination. I'd say it's more so swinging than it has been looking. And it has been, as I pointed out in my article, you know, he just has issues even making contact in the strike zone on elevated fastballs. I'm not sure when he's going to, I don't know if he's going to address that for as young as he is still 25 years old, having so much pro experience there. There's some things about Sanchez that I don't think are, all that changeable. One thing that has been is his ability to take advantage of the new major league rules as a base stealer. The fact that he has stolen three bases in limited playing time this year after stealing one combined total base in his first three big league seasons combined. The, those couple extra inches and those limitations on what pitchers can do has made an impact in that regard. And it's good to see because he does have great overall athleticism. It's not just the strength. It is the, the speed as well for him to put it to good use. That is a, a little bit significant in my opinion. He's been hitting the ball relatively hard this year in terms of how consistent he's been with it, but nothing that really pops up the page. He hasn't recaptured looking like the player that he was late in the 2021 season with this team. Outside from the base stealing, he really does make you pull your hair out with some of the other decisions he makes on the bases and as a fielder as well, he's been somewhat of a disappointment. He, he just doesn't naturally run the kind of crisp routes that you want from an, an outfielder. And he just doesn't always make the right throwing decisions either. He doesn't put all the tools together in a satisfying way despite having those very evident tools. And that's how he's reached this point of his career, where if the Marlins did designate him for assignment, they cannot send him down, no minor league options. But if they DFA'd him, would uh, would they get anything in return? Would they actually be able to consummate a trade? And are we certain that he'd be claimed off waivers by another team? I think it's likely. And certainly this last week has increased that probability. As, as I'll get back to a little bit later, um, with him, 
he is still very much in this prove it situation, a crucial year of his career. Early May may be a little bit um, premature to make any type of bold decision on somebody like Sanchez, considering his lack of options. But whenever you talk about Sanchez, you need to talk about his very close buddy, Brian De La Cruz. Not that long ago that DLC was the number two hitter on this entire team, right behind Arise. He got off to a decent start, then he absolutely caught fire for about a week. And then since then, it's been a miserable week. Usually what you expect from DLC um, that you don't quite get from Sanchez is that like putting the bat on the ball isn't typically a huge issue for him in this small sample because of how early we still are in the year. When you have one bad week, that can change uh, almost everything about your profile. And including Sunday's game, he is a 33% strikeout rate where league average is like 23. It's, it's really bad. And so much of those came, as I said, in the previous week during the brave series and continuing through the Cubs series. And even when makes contact, he's putting the ball on the ground for the most part and has his production overall all the way back down to replacement level. And his overall slash line is actually worse than Sanchez's though. It should be noted. He has been playing a lot. He's been playing on a close to everyday basis through this point in the season, uh, mostly in left field, occasionally in right. And I think he's played just a smidge in center field as well. DLC at this point in the season, uh, the batted ball quality, he doesn't quite have the, um, the, top end power the way that Sanchez does, but a lot of line drives that you get from him, his hard hit rate overall is higher than Sanchez's is. Even when he doesn't go over the walls, he's a good, reliable doubles guy. But the, uh, the, the strikeout rate has been alarming. The swing decisions have been worse than I think we've seen over the previous couple of years from DLC. He has minor league options. That is a key distinction between him and Sanchez is he has options to get sent down. Last time he was sent down last season, he absolutely demolished AAA for a few weeks, and then he came up, and as you know, he finished the 2022 season as one of the hottest hitters in all of baseball. It's been clear that since then, since then, it's been a roller coaster with him. The consistency has not been there. You have some of the same brain farts from DLC that you get from Sanchez as both a base runner and as a fielder, where it doesn't feel like he's... He, he really gets it in quite the way that you'd like him to in order to actually provide positive value to surplus value to your team in those aspects of the game. For him, it is a lot of it is just contingent on his bats. Unfortunately, you don't get, you can't really trust enough from those other elements of the game. So even though I should mention with Sanchez and DLC, even though they play different positions than Wendell does, when you talk about just sending one hitter down, they need to be, put into that conversation because of the versatility that Hampson and birdie provide, especially Hampson. We've seen them play already a decent amount of outfield this season. Like they don't necessarily have to send down one of the other infielders to make room for Wendell. You could move these pieces around. That is a positive aspect of having some versatility among these teams. And I think it's, it's as much as they would like to give these younger options um, these guys with years of control, these guys with really great offensive upside, both Sanchez and DLC, every opportunity to prove themselves, you have to bring into the conversation that the team is winning more than probably they realistically thought they would to this point in the season. And if that changes your focus on this year, 
being even more focused on getting every possible chance you can to make it into the playoffs, then you can't give any of these particular players a pass and you can't take it easy on them. If you want to make like just the base baseball decision in this case, then they need to be brought into this conversation. Now, <laughs> I guess I'll bring up in, in a little bit. It's not only a baseball decision. I, t- I mentioned up top with Joey Wendell himself, the fact that he, his salary and his track record are huge factors into why he's kind of entitled a roster spot. The Marlins are taking other factors into consideration. With DLC, he has not looked like the same player over the last week. It's a really small sample, but it's been such a bad sample that you wonder if he could benefit from a little bit of time down against easier competition instead of being thrust into the middle of the lineup like he has been um, for a good chunk of the season. When we get back other side of the break, uh, I'm going to go. I have one other idea in addition to Sanchez and Dela Cruz and Hampson and Birdie. There's one other, I think, very possible corresponding move that Marlins can make in exchange for Joey Wendell. Then I'll tell you what I would do in this situation as well. So it's, yeah, it's a meaty topic. You're probably surprised that we're still on this, but it is, uh, we've been waiting a while to have a roster move of this significance. And so I'm excited to, I'm excited to get to every single angle of it. Stick with me. We covered all the hitters to this point that I think could get squeezed off in the Wendell corresponding move the next few days. What about a pitcher, though? Could it be a pitcher? At this moment, the Marlins have 13 position players, 13 pitchers. That is a standard number. I think they've been at that exact number all throughout this year, all throughout most of last year. If you've noticed the way that Skip Schumacher manages, there are a lot of things he does that I like about his managerial style that I think are already paying off in these close games. And one of them is the way he manages this bullpen. It's an eight-man bullpen. And again, for most of this year, it's been eight. It was very momentarily nine when they were in between starters due to an injury. For the most part, it's eight. When you actually watch the games, it's really seven most of the time with Oh, Skip Schumacher, that last man in the bullpen. We've uh, I, on my previous episode, we went one by one through all the relievers of significance on the Marlins: AJ Puck, Dylan Floro, Tanner Scott, Matt Barnes, Andrew Nardi, Huascar Brazabon, Stephen Okert. That last spot, the eighth spot, is going to be a revolving door all year. We've already seen it revolve quite a bit. As I mentioned, there's been continuity on the hitting side, but it hasn't been true on the pitching side. We've seen Devin Smeltzer. We've seen George Soriano. We've seen Jeff Lindgren. In the current flavor of the moment, I don't know if you'd recognize him on the street unless you were standing next to him because he certainly does stand out with his height. Johan Quezada, the six foot nine right hander, is currently on the Marlins active roster. There's a lot of you that follow this team closely that did not know that because he hasn't pitched in a game. There's no guarantee that he would pitch in a game. You can look at the George Soriano example. He was just chilling on his butt for a full week before getting into the game for the first time. This team is focused on winning games and a difference between Schumacher and his predecessor, Don Mattingly. There were times when Don Mattingly, the new guy would get called up and if he hadn't pitched in a game in a few days, then he would just be squeezed in to whatever like situation presented itself. There were times where the last man on the Marlins bullpen depth chart was pitching in a tie game in the seventh inning. I remember it so many times last year using guys just because they're available. 
who is perhaps to a fault a little bit overly protective of his key relievers. With with Schumacher, it's been different. I guess some of that has been what he's been afforded due to the way that the schedules have lined up and that he hasn't really needed to make too many of those tough decisions with putting unprepared, well, putting, you know, just unremarkable players in high leverage situations. I mentioned that because if he's kind of just relying on seven key guys at this moment, it is allowed to go at least through a small portion of the year with a seven man bullpen, a 12 man pitching staff and 14 hitters at one time. If they did potentially option at this moment, the guy would be Johan Quezada to bring up Joey Wendell. I think the, where we particularly are on the schedule and on the pitching rotation schedule makes this like an actual possibility. The Marlins are coming off an off day and then Sandy starts the first game out of this off day. He'll start two times or in the upcoming week. If he Sandy is somebody that gives them 16 combined innings over those two starts, that's very in this very Sandy like moving forward. If the other starters do very like solidly in the interim between his turns in the rotation, like this is a team that conceivably could go maybe a week with a 12 man pitching staff with a shorthanded bullpen in order to kind of kick this hitter decision down the road a little bit until there's a more obvious answer in this case. It's a cop-out, but if you feel like the vibes are so good right now and that all these hitters have bring something to the table where it's the speed and versatility with Hampson and Birdie, it's the the offensive upside that you have with Dela Cruz and with Sanchez, they don't actually need to send one of them down in a corresponding move just because of exactly where they are in terms of the availability of their pitchers and the way that this rotation lines up. They'd be taking it kind of day by day. I said like a week at max potentially is how long you could go with a pitching staff this short. Honestly, it would be a day by day situation. You never know if Sandy is going to get his ass kicked in that Tuesday start against the Braves. If he only goes, can't get out of the third inning and you have to go through a lot of your bullpen, then that puts you in a position where you have to bring in a fresh arm at some point. It would be a day by day situation. I would say with potentially 14 hitters holding on to everybody and adding Wendell to the mix at the expense of the lowest reliever on the hierarchy. It is a possibility. So I'd just be on the lookout for that creative workarounds. <laughs> creative is one way to put it. I could say it's it's a little bit spineless knowing that you have to make some sort of decision on this crammed hitting situation and you're just delaying it for um, a couple days at a time. Something to look out for, just considering the specifics of how Skip has managed his pitching staff, the way where we are on the schedule, and the fact that there really is not an easy answer in this case. I just want to reiterate that there is no easy answer. That's why I'm not going to even bother predicting what the Marlins are going to do here, because it really is not obvious with all the, the way that these guys have performed relatively recently. And knowing that even when you bring Wendell back, he, he doesn't automatically fix everything with the way that he has struggled going back almost a full calendar year to this point. He is an important piece of the pie. And uh, I think overall it's a positive to certainly have him back in the mix. It is unfortunate that we're very likely to see one of these hitters get squeezed out of the situation here. The person that I have not mentioned is the $53 million elephant in the corner outfield spot of Garcia. Um, if I was truly in control here 
And I'm not talking about the GM. I'd have to really own the team because I don't even think Kim Ang has the flexibility to do this. I, I would cut the cord with Avi Garcia. This is something I've spoken about on our other programming is that it's a sunk cost at this point. I know he's had a couple couple nice hits recently. Overall, a sub-600 OPS from, from a corner outfield spot over a year plus in a Marlins uniform. That's just not acceptable. He would, if you're really focused on winning games and um, you understand the value that each of these other role players bring to the table, I don't know. Under, I don't, I wouldn't like delay this any further. All the money is guaranteed to him. Um, I would, in my opinion, it's like, it's better to pay that out for him to be out of the way and off the roster than it is to pay him out to be a replacement level player. And uh, which is kind of, I think the realistic projection for him over these, uh, the remainder of his contract, the remaining almost three seasons of his deal. So that's what I would do if, again, I was at the highest level, I'd be able to make a decision to like part ways to officially give up on all that money and any opportunity to trade him away. Just understanding that uh, this is the same guy to me, from what I'm seeing, he's the same guy that he was last year. He's a he's in better physical shape, but in terms of actual baseball value, it's more or less the same, and it's not good enough. And I don't think it's good enough to merit a one of 13 spots for hitters on the active roster. In terms of what I would do outside of that, just among the players that we've mentioned, I, it would be tough. And I understand how like how he has ingratiated himself so quickly, so much so quickly. I would have Garrett Hampson as the odd man out here looking under the hood and seeing that a lot of his values at this point has been driven by those extra base hits. Uh, I think he's second on the team and doubles behind, you know, second on the entire team. to this point in the season, that's been a pleasant surprise. I don't think it's predictive of what he's going to do moving forward. Just doesn't hit the ball hard enough. And beneath that, there's like a, there's more swing and miss than you would expect from that. He has outplayed John Birdie so far overall. A little bit better defensively, a little bit better as a hitter. I think just as good as a base runner. And I, I feel more trustworthy with him in the outfield than I do with Birdie, just given the lack of recent examples of Birdie there. That being said, Birdie does have that longer track record. With this team, I think he has a slightly higher floor as a hitter because he's more disciplined. He's going to take more walks in this situation. Um, it is, as I keep reiterating, a very tough call here. I would ultimately, I, I would send Birdie down, send Hampson down as the corresponding move for Wendell, knowing that uh, he could be back in the very near future. Jesus Sanchez still has a whole lot to prove, as I've said. And if the team isn't going to be able to use him consistently, then you do wonder if, if they'll make the tough decision to DFA him or to work out some sort of trade that is more complementary to the rest of their roster. Um, I don't think that's all that far away. But to Ella Cruz, the fact that he's in such a deep slump, it's it's a small slump, but it's been really agonizing to watch. If that continues for another week and a half, then as high as the Marlins organization man be on him internally, you can send him down as well. Like That, that one is even easier for you to... Uh, digest because you will keep him in the organization and you still have, you already have Hampson on the 40 man roster. It's really not that complicated to send him down and reset things. If he's gotten into some really bad habits that are preventing him from being an impactful hitter on this team. So you could kind of rationalize almost any of these corresponding moves for Wendell. And I understand that there's probably a small section of fans that 
don't really want Wendell back. All I'm saying is that he has a relatively long track record of providing positive value to the team. And if nothing else, uh, like I, I think he is, he is the highest floor out of all these players with the way that he puts a bat on the ball with the several infield positions that he does play. And with just with a uh, composure that he has in high leverage hitting situations as well. Um, be excited. Don't take for granted that Wendell is coming back. I, th- I think he does help this team a little bit more. The bottom line with this Marlins team is what they're doing right now. Um, they have not performed. They haven't like kind of put up the runs that you need to do to have a winning record in this league. They are averaging three and a half runs a game this season. And my not so bold prediction is that this is, team is going to have a losing record moving forward if they continue putting up only three and a half runs per game. I think Wendell is a part of increasing that floor. And I think with both Dela Cruz and Sanchez, they can be very big pieces of raising that ceiling with the power that they have and the hard contact that they make. That's why I'm giving them a little bit longer of a leash than I would Birding and Hampson in this situation, just knowing what the team needs right now to sustain what they're doing. They're going to need at least one of those outfielders to really click. Um, and if one of them doesn't, then you have Peyton Burdick knocking on the door at AAA as a candidate to help them in that regard as well. They, um, this is exciting. It's good to have the expectations on this team and uh, yeah, the urgency to make the right decisions, the pressure on Kim Eng in the front office to make the right decisions here to, to not screw up um, what the Marlins have going here, which has been, I think, right, right in terms of wins and losses, this has been a realistic best case scenario to go through what is objectively a very tough part of their schedule and to come out of it with 16 wins in their first 29 games being relatively healthy compared to most other teams in the league, soon to be fully healthy on the hitting side. And um, hopefully the worst of the pitching setbacks are behind them as guys continue to progress in their rehab um, in a variety of uh, different roles. That's going to do it for this one. Uh, Marlon setting a very high standard for what we look for moving forward. The goal staying afloat at this point and sustaining what they've done to this point in the season. A lot of things have gone their way to this point is what I'll remind you guys on. So they need to continue to be ambitious and, and like pushing the envelope and looking for other advantages that they can get, making sure they have the optimal group with them in order to yeah make this a, a viable option for them to continue winning at this clip. Big week up ahead as trying to get revenge on the Braves for the way that that previous series went. And we'll have all that covered here on Fist Drives. Thanks for listening and go fish.